the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. What I think is challenging is to maintain the same hustle. You know, if somebody calls up, the phone rings, the intake process, again, back to the intake, but the certain hustle factor that was much different when I was standing there and the phone was ringing than when the way it works now. And I think, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And there are firms that do this and they have locations all over the place. And then there's a whole marketing component too. You know, how do you market for multiple locations? Run your law firm the right way. way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Jimmy, this is the second time today we are recording. How you doing? Good, and I'm excited. Uh, it is the second time. We're trying to bank some episodes because we know that we don't ever want to miss, and we've been going strong for, geez, I don't know how many episodes, and so we were down to our, actually, we're down to no more, so we had to record one this morning for this week, and our guest on this episode will be on next week, and then we're going to have some in the bank. We're heading into January. I like it. With this guest, I'm going to tease him a little bit. With this guest, it's going to be a good one, I think, an exciting one to talk to, sort of end the year and to talk to. So, But before, Jimmy, we talk about who our guest is, I want to remind everyone, by the time this episode hits, we will be in our early bird registration phase until the end of the year. Actually, this is the super duper early bird is where we're at. So you want to talk a little bit about the conference before we get into our interview? Yeah, the conference is June 6th and 7th in St. Louis. It's going to shape up to be even better than last year. We, we are anticipating more attendees and a bigger space, and we already have some great commitments from some of our speakers, which we'll be sharing shortly. But if you missed the class sale last week, then you're going to be able to at least take advantage of the early bird special, and if it's the year end and you're trying to get some of your 2019 expenses under your 2018 books, a good way to do it would be to go ahead and register for next June's conference today. Absolutely. All right. Do you want to introduce our guest of the week? Well, I don't know that we've ever had another immigration lawyer on the show, which is interesting because we've had so many personal injury lawyers on the show. And and mostly that's because I did not want to share the wealth, but we have come across and become good friends with such a good immigration lawyer and such a good guy. 
he came to MaxLawCon last year on very short notice. He was one of the last ones to register. And he has a really interesting approach to the practice of law that I think that our listeners are going to get a, get a lot out of. His name is Josh Goldstein. And Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast and the uh, conference and both of you personally. And it's a great honor. Josh, I'm not going to start the way I normally do. I'm not going to ask you what you do, and I'm not going to ask you to introduce yourself. I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you scheduled your date night with your wife? And if you have not, why not? Boy, am I lucky that the planets have lined up just perfectly. Yes, I have. We have a date on Saturday night, and we lined up a babysitter. I just got a text from my wife probably two minutes ago. So saved by that. But just some backstory on that. One of the tips that Tyson gave out at the last conference, or maybe just to me personally, and it was a really simple idea, but a really good one, and that is to schedule a a date night with your wife, with your significant other, for once a week, and just try to, you know, get some time with the two of you together, and if you do that regularly, you know, it's great because you get caught up in the grind of your life, and childcare, and work, and, and the daily grind is can be really difficult and it's nice to set aside some time instead of just you know if you plan on doing it once a week or you know every other week or as as often as you regularly can you get a lot of benefit out of that it's nice to clear your head and just sit down with your wife and so yes we got it on saturday night we're done we always like it when our listeners take action on our tips and hacks and that's a good one for sure josh tell our listeners a little bit about your history post-law school or law school and then how you got into immigration and where things came now. um, So uh, when I finished law school, I got a job in big law. I worked at a large corporate law firm in New York and then in Boston. And I was really miserable. I really hated it. And then at some point after a couple of years, I was looking to make a switch. And all the jobs I was looking at were sort of similar to that. And I didn't know what to do. And they let me do a pro bono immigration case while I was working at the firm. And it was the most rewarding, interesting work that I had done. And I sort of thought, well, maybe I could try to start my own law practice. I don't know. And then I sort of thought, okay, well, I'll give this a try. And if it doesn't work, I'll just get another job. And I had no idea that whether it would work or how it would work. I just knew that I didn't want to get a job, another job. And I think the thing that made me most miserable about working at Big Law as an associate was I just didn't have any control over things, you know? I didn't have control over the work I was doing or the people I was working with or my hours or what I would wear and anything like that. And, you know, when you have your own shop, you can do whatever the hell you want and you can make whatever decisions you want. You can come and go as you please and you can organize your life however you want to do it. And I really like that about it. So the place that I opened my law practice, I practiced in Boston most of my career. Now I'm in Los Angeles and I have an office in Boston and I'll explain a little bit how that came about. But the the building that I practiced in was filled with solo lawyers and small firms. And it was kind of like, it was like your squad, you know, it was very collegial. You know, somebody comes into my office and they're an immigration client and they have a bankruptcy case. And they said, do you do bankruptcy? I'd say, well, yeah, sure. Come on with me. And I'd get in the elevator and walk them up to the third floor, you know, take them over to the third floor and shake hands with somebody who does bankruptcy. And 
you know, I, and I learned a lot from these other lawyers who had been practicing for many, many years. It was very collegial, and I learned a lot about how to do it, and things sort of took off from there. So and now I'm unemployable. <laughs> uh, that's actually pretty funny. So I've got a question for you. It seems like immigration lawyers are becoming the next PI lawyer where they're becoming to be a dime a dozen. And I know Jim's been doing it a while. You've been doing it a while. What differentiates you from other immigration lawyers? Well, I mean, anytime you're hiring a lawyer, really anyone, there's a range of people, right? There's a range of people in terms of quality. I mean, there are people who just graduated from law school that call themselves immigration lawyers. And, you know, I mean, but I think uh, I've been doing it a long time. I have a lot of experience. I'm super passionate about my work. I don't know, Jim, I think you feel this way too, but I'm just as excited to work on cases and to get up in the morning and go to work and to do this work as I was when I first started off. I really, really enjoy it. I love working with the clients. I'm really picky about the cases that I take on. I only take on cases where I feel like I have a really good likelihood of success or, you know, in, in a way that kind of makes me a wimp, right? I don't take cases that are super challenging and super difficult or, you know, for example, I don't do detained immigration cases. I just don't have the energy or the resource to handle it. But I think I'm pretty picky about the cases that I take on. So if, I, if I'm meeting with someone, I say, look, I'm gonna take, I can do your case. It's going to cost you this much. That means that I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to get the job done. So I have an approach to immigration law that, I don't know, Jimmy probably share that feeling too. I don't know. Yeah, Josh, I think it's really important to know which kind of cases you want to handle and which ones you don't. And I think you do do a really good job of being picky. How do you scale yourself? How do you, you know, once you take the case, how do you make sure that you're not doing all the little bits and pieces of filling out forms? And talk to us a little bit about, you know, your processes. Well, each case is different. And um, some of the cases are more time intensive than others. So my office does a lot of family-based immigration. And a lot of that work is done by my paralegal. So my office, I have, I live in, live in practice in Los Angeles, and I have my primary office is in Boston. And I have two associates in Boston and four paralegals in Boston. And so most of the work is, all the work really is done in Boston, except for the things that I handle personally. So when someone hires me for sort of a family-based immigration case, or the paralegals are doing most of the document collection and form filling and stuff like that. And then we schedule meetings with the clients to handle, you know, that require the attention of the lawyer to go over things like preparing for interviews and hearings and stuff like that. But there are some cases that I work on almost exclusively or heavily, you know what I mean? Gosh, where do you see your firm headed? I mean, we're in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, where do you want to be from a firm standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know where I want to be in the next 10 years, because that's sort of too far off the horizon for me, and maybe that's a bad thing. But we're going through some real growing pains right now. We get a very high volume of, well, it seems like a high volume of calls, and we're using a call center to handle that. And that, you know, I've been talking about this. People who have met me at these conferences have known that I've been trying to crack the intake nut for a long time, and it's a real challenge for me. And uh, I've been lucky to get to talk to Harlan Schillinger and Eric Kaufman, some of these other people who have put a lot of time and energy and thought into intake. And so, I mean, really, I just want to 
the growing pains are sort of like, how do I coordinate work better between the two offices and how do I improve my intake? So those are my immediate goals. And I think if I do that, then I can grow my firm pretty easily. But right now my intake is pulling me back. Let's talk about that in particular. What about intake is driving you crazy and what are you doing to fix it? Well, I think that one of the insights that I gained from Harlan, who is a really smart guy, by the way, and uh, I uh, encourage anyone to chat with him who wants to improve their intake, but he said that the best way and really the only way to get really, really good at intake is to do it yourself, to have a dedicated intake person in your office who you train and supervise and you closely monitor and you do it yourself. And it's something that I've been avoiding. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to deal with it. So I kind of fobbed it off onto different call centers. So when people call my office, they get a call center. And, you know, there some call centers are better than others. But I think it's never going to be as good as, you know, if your own staff is answering the phone. They know your business. You've trained them. You're standing next to them or monitoring the calls. And I think that that's the direction I'm headed. I'm trying to. I think you're trying to do the same thing too, or maybe you've done this, Jim, but hiring an, a dedicated intake person, training them, and getting getting the right tools in place to make sure that that's uh, dialed in. I recently referred a personal injury case to a lawyer, a law firm here in Los Angeles, and uh, the way that they handled me as a referring attorney through their sort of intake call center process was really impressive. It was frictionless and prompt and you know and it was like sort of a model of what I hoped that I could achieve with my own intake. I want to keep going down this this path a little bit if you don't mind. I guess what was it about that firm's intake process that you love so much because maybe there's a couple of things that our listeners can adopt uh, in their practices. What was it about their process that you love so much? I mean I called their firm and you know, one ring, two rings, somebody picked up, asked me a couple of questions, and then it was just like, boom, you know, the attorney was texting me on my cell phone. And, you know, that same day, they were in touch with the client I referred over, and they signed him up, I think, that day or the next day. But it was like, boom, 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 done. I think, Jim, I don't know if you have this feeling, but I think that there's a view within, among immigration lawyers, that the practice of law is not shouldn't be a business, you know, sort of like you're you're doing public interest work. And I mean, I'm not in this just for money, uh, although this is how I feed my family and pay my bills. But you know, I mean, I, I'm passionate about it. I want to help people, and I want to I want to see people get the get their green cards and their citizenship. That's that's what I'm all about. But on the other hand, you are running a business, and I think. I think of it that way, really, you know, it's a business decision. But yeah, I think that this guy had his intake stuff dialed in. He, This was not a call center that called me. It was somebody done in-house. And, uh, you know, I chatted with the lawyer a little bit about it and tried to pick his brain a bit. But I think, you know, immigration, I think, is probably the least lucrative area of law that you could possibly practice. And when you look at something like personal injury, there's big money involved. So I think people people do a better job of things like intake, how they handle cases. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. So, Josh, let's talk about having a 
office on two different coasts of the United States. Yeah. So first of all, let me let me give you a little background into how I ended up with that. I ended up in Boston for most of my life, my adult life, but mostly because I just happened to go to law school in Boston. I didn't have any any uh, family in the area. I went to law school there and continued to practice there, and I had tons of friends there. And then, you know, I'd been there most of my life, most of my career. And then in 2011, I went to a wedding, and it was in Topanga Canyon, which is like near Malibu. Beautiful, beautiful, like rustic sort of place. And it was in April. And in April in Boston, it's sort of like the death of winter. You know, it's 30 degrees and all the leaves are gone off the trees. It's winter. And in April in Los Angeles, it's, you know, 75 and sunny. So I stayed in Santa Monica and Venice. And, and I thought, wow, this is pretty amazing. And then I saw, you know, do you know Bernie Wolfsdorf, an immigration attorney? He has his offices in Santa Monica right on Main Street, right, like literally adjacent to the beach. And I thought, well, I speak Spanish fluently. I'm pretty good at marketing. Like, I could do this. And then I thought, well, no, I'm too established in Boston. There's no way I can do this. So I went back to Boston. But I always had this sort of this itch that I had to scratch about Los Angeles. And I kept going back there year after year to visit and thinking about it. And uh, and then my girlfriend at the time who we got engaged and she got pregnant and then I thought well if I don't do this now then it'll never happen and that coincided with the worst blizzard that anyone had ever seen since like the 70s in Boston where there was like 10 feet of snow everywhere and and then I said okay let's do it but I didn't have a great plan for how to do it I just sold my house and moved to LA and and I've been going back and forth ever since. And I'm fortunate that I have a really good staff in Boston. I have an associate who's been with me for more than 10 years. And he's really smart and capable and hands-on. And, and I have another associate who has a little bit different sort of skill set. She's really, she's great with clients. And she's younger. And I have a lot of female paralegals. And so she, she connects well with them. And so I think that those two attorneys have done an outstanding job of keeping the ship together. And I go back every six weeks, probably, to see how things are going. And uh, But, you know, it's, it's a real challenge. And uh, I think that having a law firm in two completely different areas of the country is not an easy thing to do. Your practice is not going to work as well if you move to California as if you're going to work every day and you're in the office at 8 a.m. You know, it doesn't work as well when you're not there physically. I want to ask you a little bit about that, Josh, because, and I'm glad you said that, because there are probably several people listening to this that either have multiple offices or want to have multiple offices. How do you keep it together? I mean, what is your advice to people that want to do something similar to what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to accept the fact that it's not going to work as well when you're not there. Some things at least I can speak for myself, some things work amazingly well. If somebody comes into our office and hires us to work on a case, that case is going to be done at an extraordinarily high level. You know, it's, we've got a process for handling the cases that work. I don't lose sleep over cases getting messed up or something like that because we're, we're dialed in on that. What I think is challenging is to maintain the same hustle. You know, if somebody calls up, the phone rings, you know, the intake process, again, back to the intake, but the certain hustle factor that was much different when I was 
standing there and the phone was ringing than when the way it works now. And I think, I think I'm going to get much better at this once I hire my intake person and get my software set up and things like that. But, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And there are firms that do this and, you know, they have locations all over the place. But I'm with some really far-flung locations of Boston and Los Angeles. And then there's a whole marketing component, too. You know, how do you market for multiple locations? I spent a lot of time and energy thinking about that. First, I started off having one website that had multiple locations, and I switched to one website for Boston and one website for L.A. And, you know, there's no right answer to this. There are law firms that are super successful that have many locations that use a single website for different locations, and I chose to do it differently. Josh, we've got a couple people on the show who operate one office remotely, Sean Kemp has an office in Arizona. He lives in Cincinnati. Last week, we had on Megan Xavier, and she lives in Georgia and has all of her clients are in California. Do you think there's a difference between operating one remote location versus having two different locations, one where you actually live? I mean, conceptually, I don't think it would be any different. Yeah, no, I, I think it's the same basic concept. Those lawyers don't have an office where they live. They live in a different place. Right. Yeah, I'd be, I mean, I'd be interested to see how they've done it. My basic approach to law firm management and all these marketing, all these ideas, is that there's got to be somebody who has a better idea than I have, you know? All the way that I have set up my business is just sort of what I thought would be a good idea. But I, I always assume that somebody smarter than me has done it in a different and better way. So I'm always tinkering with things and, and I mean, yeah, I would love to, I should check out those podcasts to see what they have to say, but they probably have a really, I mean, right now, for example, I have a landline phone system in Boston and a voice over internet phone system in LA and I need to switch to a voice over internet system for LA and make it, make it really seamless to transfer and move calls between the two locations. I think that would help. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not an easy thing. So, Josh, what would it else say if you were to start this all over again and start your firm and then and the two offices? What is something that you would do differently? Boy, I think one thing that struck me, there was somebody on the Facebook group that posted something, and, there, and the guy said, I just started my law firm, and I launched my website two two weeks ago, and I haven't gotten any calls yet. What's going on? You know, and I thought that was kind of, I had to smile because when I started my law practice, I really put any thought into the marketing of it, you know? I mean, why would someone call you? Why would anyone call you? You really have to spend a lot of time and energy and money on marketing in order to get the phone to ring. Sure, you can have your friend do your website or do it on your own or do your social media on your own and you can do email marketing on your own and you should do that. but at some point, I think there are people who are real experts on these things, like Seth and others, who can do it way better than you can. You know what I mean? So I think that, like, when I first started off, I probably didn't really get much revenue after it took me more than a year before I really got going. But now, I mean, knowing now what I know now, I would have started a newsletter and collected emails. And, I mean, you don't have any clients at that point. so. Get plenty of time to write content 10 hours a day for your website. 
to do all that sort of stuff. So I think focusing on marketing from the get-go would be better. As far as how to manage the LA and Boston websites, I'm still improvising. And I don't, I mean, one of the things that really was incredibly difficult is that when I came to LA, I took, my original plan was not to take the California bar exam because I figured, well, I'm an immigration lawyer and I can federal administrative, I can just do that work without a California license. And then I thought, you know, I'm living in California, I'm practicing in California, I really need to be admitted in California just so that I'm, seems like a better long-term thing. So I took, I took the California bar exam and it was a real beast, basically. You can imagine, I mean, I didn't, couldn't remember any of the law from law school, right? The rule against Shelley's case or whatever, all that kind of nonsense. You have to go back and learn all that. So that was really sidetracked by it for about a year by taking the bar exam. My attention was split between relearning the first year of law school, <laughs> basically, and uh, my practice. So I don't know. Maybe I would have taken the bar exam before I left. I don't know. Or not taken it. I'm not sure. Josh, for my last question, I know you and I spent a lot of time talking about running the firm and growing the practice, and we enjoy that stuff. I'm thinking back to the the conference this year when we had that session when Tyson and I were on, you know, up front with Mitch and Seth and John, and we all sort of debated about, you know, how much law we want to be practicing, how much management we want to be doing. And I'm just wondering, where do you sort of fall on that spectrum? And how do you keep both things going? Yeah, I mean, I love practicing law and I love I love working on cases, but my actual job is more running a running the business of my practice. So it is a struggle to juggle those two responsibilities. Right now I'm working on some E B one A cases. I don't know if you do that, but they're basically cases where you're trying to prove that someone has extraordinary ability, and if so, they can, through a self-petition, they can get a green card without any kind of employer or anything like that. And um, one of the cases is for a professional athlete. Another one is for a celebrity. I mean, they're super fun cases, and they're ones that I don't have an easy-to-do template for, you know? So they're they're sort of bespoke, and I have to spend a lot of time and energy on them. And, uh, I mean, it's good stuff, but it also distracts me from the big picture, which is fixing my intake, which is something that, you know, drifts away. So, yeah, I mean, it's a struggle to balance those two things, right? Jimmy, I love how Josh just did like a our form of a name drop. Uh, the only way we can do it as lawyers, we, we can't actually mention clients' names, but he made sure he mentioned professional athletes, some famous person. So uh, I, kudos to you for getting that pseudo sort of name drop in there, Josh. It is fun. I mean, I feel pretty honored to work on these cases and it's sort of like, you know, I don't want to take those cases and I don't I don't want to give them to my associates. I want to do it, you know? <laughs> no, I, and I bet those are blessed. I, I bet they really are. Uh, I bet they're really awesome. So I think mean, it's great. So. It is. All right, so we do it need is. to, we need to wrap things up. I Because I, I, I think yeah. we could probably chat with you all freaking day. But before I do, I want to make sure that I remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, join there, get involved. You're going to find a ton of content there. Um, if you've not been there yet, you're, you might be a little surprised by the amount of content. And then also, please, please, please just take a second while you're listening to our tip and the hack. Go and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. 
you've been listening to this, you think, you know what, I really love these guys, or I really hate these guys, or I really love Jim, or I really love Tyson, I just love the guests, I can't stand these guys, just please, if you don't mind, go on and give us a five-star review so we can spread the love. Uh, Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So before we hopped on today's call, I was talking with Kelsey Bratcher, our, our Zapier and automation guru, and he's been in contact with two fellows that I follow. Their podcast is called Hustle and Flowchart. And Kelsey is going to be on their show. And I, it reminded me that this is a podcast I've probably listened to about 20 episodes of right now. And they really have, it's, it's not for lawyers, but they really have that nice balance of automating systems plus marketing that I think I've learned a lot from listening to it. So I, I recommend it to our listeners, Hustle and Flowchart. It's sort of fun, sort of light, but um, there's some really good content in there. And I'm on their email list and they're actually one of the automated emails or, or email services that I read most of their emails each week. I like it. I'll have to check them out. I mean, I, I've, got, I've already had a ton of podcasts I already listened to. I can't even get through, but it sounds like it's worth jumping into. All right, Josh, you know the routine. What's your tip or hack of the week? Tip or hack of the week? I'd like to put in a shameless plug for the Max Law Conference. I thought it was the best law conference that I'd been to, and that's a conference where I met I met Mitch and John Fisher and got involved with their groups. And, there was, you know, I really got a lot out of it. It was a lot of fun. And I plan to come back this year. So it would be a shameless plug. But, yeah, I like the conference a lot. It was great. I love it. I'll give you your 50 bucks after the show. I'll send it to you via Venmo. Um, Appreciate no, that. In time for my date say, night. Yeah, exactly. Just in time for your date night. You get a nice – I'm, I'm okay. sure you can get a really nice meal in – in California with a uh, 50 bucks. You know, and I will say the conference really was great. I mean, and the things that I remember the most about that was just hanging out, you know, sharing yeah. a, an Uber with Mitch, you know, and, and going to the Cardinals game and, and staying late and having a drink with people, just chatting. I mean, I, it, it was really was a lot of fun. So it was the funnest one I've ever been to. And I obviously am biased, but it really was good. But for yeah. my tip of the week, I want to – I'm going to give you – I'm going to find a way to make you all some money next year, some, put, put some money in your pocket. And the way to do that is go through your expense list, the, the things you've spent money on every month, write those down or pull them from QuickBooks or get them from your bookkeeper or your accountant and go through line by line by line and get them by vendor and see where am I wasting money, where, where, what are things that I'm paying for that I'm not really getting any value off of anymore. So maybe there are things that three years ago you're paying a monthly fee for that you're getting a lot of value for and you're not really using it anymore. Get those, get them out of your system, quit paying for them, and you're going to put maybe tens of thousands of dollars in your pocket. So do that now before the beginning of the year. So going into next year, you're going to start with almost a clean slate and you're going to have a lot of value out of that. All right, Josh. As I expected, amazing. I, I love talking to you. You're, you're a great guy, great lawyer. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great. I uh, really appreciate it. I love the podcast. Keep it up, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.